0: Good to be here with you this morning. I want you to take. Uh, let me see. How many of you have your Bible with you? Just raise it up. Okay. How many of you have your Bible with you? <laughs> you know, I used to just say, uh, you know, I t- turn. There's no sweeter sound than the turning of the pages of God's Word. Now I say, there's no sweeter sound than the paging at it on their phone. Turn with me. Either way. To Acts chapter 1. You, uh, as a church, are at the threshold of the most critical time in the life of any church as you start the search for a new pastor. Uh, after this service, you're going to start the process of, of selecting a pastor search committee, and out of that, Those that are nominated, you're going to select one and you're going to entrust to them the greatest responsibility that anyone has ever given in a local church in seeking uh, uh, the man that God would have to serve as pastor to recommend to you. So what I want to do today as you stand here at the threshold of this very important time, I want to look at a basic biblical truth. It's it's a truth that is true for all of us individually when in every decision that we make every problem we encounter every challenge we confront every need that we have and it is a truth that is certainly applicable to where you are right now as a church family and here it is it's very very simple before you do anything Pray, pray, pray. I want you to read with me in Acts 1, three verses right in the heart of chapter 1, starting in verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, where, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, the same upper room where... They had celebrated the first Lord's Supper with Jesus, the upper room that they had fled to in desperation after Jesus had died, the upper room that had become their headquarters in the resurrection. And now they return to that upper room. That is Peter. John, and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts one, twelve through fourteen is a pivotal passage of Scripture. On one side of it are the last words that Jesus speaks here in planet earth in his physical body acts 1-8 the last expression of the Great Commission where he reveals to the disciples and to us his purpose and his plan upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem both in Judea Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth and then after he speaks those words he ascends back to heaven with the assurance of the angel that he's coming again. So that's one side of this passage. The other side of this passage is Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, where God the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence within the body of individual believers and within the body of believers to empower and enable us to do what Jesus has commanded us to. To do and there are 50 days between the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost and acts 1 12 through 14 tells us what the disciples and the others there were about a hundred and twenty what they did for those 50 days between Ascension and Pentecost. They prayed, prayed, and prayed. Let me just give you just an underlining truth that's going to be behind everything else that we're going to say this morning. There are many things that we can do to the glory of God after we've prayed. There is nothing that we can do to the glory of God until we have prayed. Now, let's just look at this passage, and I wanna break it down in, in two ways. First of all, I want us to look at four principles of prayer that are given to us in these verses. The first one is the priority of prayer. Listen to what it says. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem a Sabbath day away. And when they had entered the city, they went into the upper room where they were staying, and it names them Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and all of these with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer with the l- women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Prayer wasn't just peripheral in what they were going to do, they didn't come back together and. And say, you know, uh, J- Jesus left us a big plan. I mean, he, he's, he's told us that, that we're to fill Jerusalem and we're to fill our local area, Judea and Samaria, and we're just to go everywhere with the gospel. And we got to figure out how to do that. Now, now Thomas, why don't you just leave us in a word of prayer before we get down to business? They didn't do that. They didn't just say, well, we need to pray every now and then they came together and they devoted themselves to prayer that word devote means that they gave themselves wholeheartedly to the life of prayer there is no prayer without devotion and there is no devotion without prayer if you want to know Where you are, you look at your prayer life. That's the truest gauge of where you are in your relationship with the Lord. Here they are. They come back. Jesus had just spoken to them his last words. He's gloriously ascended. The angel said, don't stand here looking up. He's going to come again. It's time to get busy. They go back, and what do they do? They just gather, and they start to pray, and they pray, and they pray. It was the first thing and the main thing that they did. They prayed. I I would suggest to you that they gave themselves to that kind of prayer because they had learned it from Jesus. Now just think about it. You take the disciples that are all named in, in verse 13. They had been with Jesus for almost three years now half of it they were just daily companions with Jesus and so they would have heard Jesus as he preached and he taught over and over again and the people would respond by being marveled at his teaching astonished as his teaching And they would say, no one has ever spoken like this before. No one has had the authority. He's not like one of the babbling teachers that we're used to. He comes with authority from God. And so they had heard his powerful teaching and preaching. They had been with him as he worked mighty miracles. (laughs) They had been with him as he had made blind men see and lame men walk. They had been with him, as he had even called the dead back to life. They they were with him as they were going into that little village of Nain. and, 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 And the widow was coming out, bearing her only son. And Jesus stops and he touches it. And he commands the young man to come back to life. And they are eyewitnesses of extraordinary miracles. But one day they come to Jesus and they ask Him to teach them. And it's important to notice that they didn't say, Jesus, teach us to preach the way you preach. They didn't even say, Jesus, teach us to work miracles the way that you do. But instead, as they had followed Him for three years, They had seen Jesus time and time again, as we're given a picture of in Mark 1.35. And after a busy, extraordinarily long day of ministering to and touching lives and teaching, it says that he got up a long while before dawn and went out into a solitary place and prayed. They remembered well, on that night before he would select out of all of those that were following him, 12 that he would call apostles, that he spends all night in prayer. And they had been with him. And they simply say, Lord, teach us to pray. They understood. Or just isn't an attachment to the Christian life. It's the very heart of it. And so when they come back to that upper room and they meet with the women and the brothers of Jesus, that which is priority for them is to pray and to pray and to pray. Now, after the priority of prayer, I want you to see in, in these four principles the dependence of, of prayer. I, I, I think that Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recalls all of the names of the disciples in verse 13 for a very important reason. Because fresh on each of their minds is their failures around Calvary. How they'd all been offended and deserted, and how Peter had denied him. When Jesus said that was going to happen, I said, "No, no, no! We love you. We're devoted to you." But they realized their best intentions and their best efforts just wouldn't get the job done. And when Jesus says. You will see power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other most parts of the earth, they didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, don't worry about it, go back, we'll take care of this. They understood their total inability. Listen, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Much prayer is our declaration of dependence upon him and so it was their priority it was their expression of of their absolute dependence upon him to do through them what they could not do of themselves Now I'm sure the same is true of us i don't I don't know about you. <clears throat> But I'm so aware of my infallibility. Are you? I mean, I, left to myself, I've made some horrendous mistakes. I mean, I've, I've just made some decisions that, you know, I've lost money. I got involved in an investment scheme, man, going to make a million. And, and and walked with holes in my shoes for a little while after that, Jimmy. <laughs> Left to ourselves, we're 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 fallible. I don't know the future, I don't know wisdom. I I uh <clears throat> was thinking driving over here today. We drove past Parkin. I was at the seminary at Mid America Seminary, and I was the interim pastor of uh of First Baptist Church Parkin. tell me you were well, you and Barbara were there then. And one day the pastor search committee from when came and we talked and we prayed and they invited me to come and I, I'll I, I, just be honest with you, I, I went through a real struggle and the struggle was that there were two excellent things, two excellent between the choice. And so Janet and I prayed and I prayed and and I just, so one day I, I sat down and, uh, and I got a, a notepad, and I draw, drew a line down the middle of two pages. And, and here were the pros and the cons, the stand at the seminary, pros and the cons are coming here. And I was just writing those down, and the Lord spoke to my heart. And he shook my life. And what he said to me is that decision that you make will determine who your oldest son marries. I'm serious. And it scared me to death. I knew that I could make a mistake and live with the consequences myself, but I was scared to death to make a decision and the consequences be negative for my children. And I... Wadded that, those pages up and threw them away and laid on my face and just asked God to give me wisdom in his will. And his wisdom was for us to come here. And I promise you, our son, who's in, what, the ninth grade, goes to school at when? His Flamary. <laughs> and she's the right one for their heart, for the world, for missions. I can't imagine him being married, any. And all I'm saying was, I don't have the wisdom to do that. I want you to know the decision you make on the calling of your new pastor is not just going to have an impact on this church. It's going to have an impact on the lives of your children. And your grandchildren have an impact upon all of when, how many people come to know Jesus, what happens to the glory of God. It's all going to be wrapped up. And you and I don't have that kind of wisdom, do we? But we know who does. They were absolute dependents. Hurry up, please. Uh, Third principle. And that is the unity of prayer. Listen to what it says in verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were doing it with one mind, one heart, one accord. Now listen, there's everything in the world to divide these folks. I mean, John could have said to Peter, Peter, I'm not listening to you. I mean, you denied Jesus. Simon the Zealot, the the, 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 the political enthusiast, uh, the Jewish nationalist could have looked at Matthew and said, Matthew, I, I, just, I just can't pray with you. I mean, you, you've been a sellout all of your life as a tax collector for Rome. The women could have said to the disciples, hey, listen, we, 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 just, we just can't do it because... I mean, all you guys deserted Jesus. We're the only ones that were there. But they didn't do that. One mind, one heart, one accord. Didn't have to do with preferences. Now, you can take a survey here today and get so many different descriptions of what the pastor, next pastor looks like. Some will say, man, I want him young, blue jeans. Others will say, man, I want somebody more traditional. I want somebody that sells at preaching. I want somebody that sells in counseling. You know, we just have all kinds of preferences, don't we? How do we lay all that aside and just come to that place where we say, how do we find God's man? It is an overwhelming commitment to the Lordship of Jesus. Let me say it again. It is an overwhelming commitment to the Lordship of Jesus that binds our hearts together. The only thing that matters is His will, His guidance, His direction. When Jesus was standing in Matthew 16 and he says to, to Peter, Who do men say that I am? And, and Peter said, Well, some of them say you're John the Baptist, one of them say you're Elijah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the Savior. And uh, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon uh, of our Jonas, because uh, flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you, but my Father. And on this rock, on this confession, I'm going to build what? Your church. No. I'm going to build my church. Jesus is the head of the body. I like what Adrian Rogers used to say. Any body that doesn't have a head is dead. And anybody that has two or more heads is a freak. (laughs) And that's true. And so union is saying, what does the head say? How do we follow his will? How do we know his direction? Okay. Priority, dependence, union, unity and then there's the persistence of prayer. All of these with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Fifty days they prayed. They didn't pray ten days and say, that's enough. They, They didn't pray... I want you to know they didn't shut up, back up, let up, or give up until the answer came. Fifty days they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. You and I know that it doesn't make sense to pray without faith, right? The expression of strong faith is the persistence of prayer. So those are the four principles. Now, real quickly, let me just give you four results that happened from the church when it prayed this way. And that's what I'm going to call you to. I'm just going to call you to the priority of prayer. You, you, you just need to pray together. You, you, you really do. You need to have special seasons of prayer as a church family. You, you, you need, to, in Sunday school classes, devote time to just praying, God, would you give us wisdom in your will and clear guidance to your man? You, 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 as you meet, you ought to just simply say, let's pray together. You all to have folks in your home, let's pray together together. Let's pray, pray, pray because there are four things that happened when the church prayed like that. Now they're not in the text but they're in everything that follows it okay? Let me give them to you. Number one the presence of God was perceived. They spent much time in the presence of God and because of it they are overwhelmed by His presence in their lives. Now, Much of the weakness that we have is that we don't take time to be still and know that He's God. I mean, we come in, we turn on the TV, leave it on until we go to bed. We get in the car, instead of solitude and quietness and prayer, we turn on the radio or We talk on the phone, you know. We live distracted lives. And we wonder why we don't have this overwhelming sense of the presence of God when we walk out of here. Much time, much time in His presence gives you That awareness that He never leaves you nor forsakes you, that you live and breathe and have your being in the presence of Almighty God who loved you, who sent His Son to die for you, who saves you, who indwells you, who holds you in His hands. That's the realization that they have. Secondly, the plan of God is believed. I don't know how to tell you what the will of God is. But I can tell you this, that God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it. And that he doesn't play games. He doesn't hold it out like a carrot, and when you get close to it, pull it away. His glory is invested in you and I knowing and doing the will of God. And it's as they stay in His presence, and they understand the dimensions of everything that God wants them to do. They are absolutely committed to what would be a humanly impossible task. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. We have the names of all of these and the women. And Mary, the mother, they don't look like a great world-changing group of people, do they? But they're people who lived in his presence, committed to his plan. Not only was the, the presence of God perceived and the plan of God believed, But the power of God was received. Fifty days they pray. I don't know about you, but when I spend long times in prayer, God does a lot of rearranging in my life. Takes a lot of junk out of my life. there's a whole lot of sanctification that takes place staying in the presence of God 40 days the day of Pentecost comes and God the Holy Spirit fills and enables them what difference does it make 90 days before Peter had said, I place my hand on a stack of Bibles. I do not know him. This same pal, Peter, who is the, the, the coward of Calvary, is going to stand in the streets of Jerusalem before the same people who had cried, crucify him, crucify him. And he's going to preach with power. He's going to preach as the disciples with power bear witness in every language and every dialect. So everyone hears the glorious gospel that we just sang about, about Jesus and his cross, his death, his resurrection, God's provision of salvation. And they down changed the course of human history. Because when you receive the presence of God, you live in his presence, you Believe his plan, you get in on his will, you receive his power, then the purpose of God is going to be achieved. That first day on Pentecost, 3,000 people are saved. Wow. We had Men of Memphis conference yesterday. Uh, uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, we we rejoice because there were thirty-five men who trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Three thousand are saved the first day, and then the Lord adds into the church. I mean, people are being saved. How many of you want to see people saved? In when? I mean, we. Not only were people being saved and added into the church daily, but the. The church increased in favor with God and man. Everybody said, wow, God's there. It's real. It doesn't just happen. When we say, well, let's get somebody to lead us in prayer. It doesn't just happen when we pray every now and then. It happens When we devote ourselves